0: of Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Today, we begin an examination of our Methodist heritage by exploring the life of its founder, John Wesley, in our new sermon series, The Faith of John Wesley. Join us now for our message, a brand plucked from the fire. Good morning and welcome here to worship at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. I wanted to uh, welcome everyone who is joining us online, as well as those who are here in the sanctuary with us. A little bit later, we're going to be talking about how an act of arson ended up catching the world on fire. So I know you'll want to stay for that. As usual, we will be taking our live prayer requests. If you are worshiping with us online, then just post your Uh, concern or your joy or your request for a blessing right there in our Facebook feed and we'll be happy to lift that up to the Lord later on in our service. If you have not done so already I invite you to make an offering to the ministry of this church. You can do that through our website tumcd.org through the church center app or by simply mailing a check to the church and for those in the sanctuary we have our collection uh, plate there at the back of the sanctuary. Our January communion rail offering is for the Reconciling Ministries Network. As many of you are aware, we we are a reconciling congregation. That means that we are welcoming and affirming of LGBTQ folks here in the life of our church. And the Reconciling Ministries Network is the international network of Methodist churches that join us in fully welcoming and affirming LGBTQ folks. So, our offering for our special communion rail offering for this month will be going to RMN. And again, you can make that donation uh, through our Church Center app or through mailing a check to the church. We are starting now a new sermon series today on the faith of John Wesley. And we'll be taking a look at his life and how it might spur us for renewal and revival. We do have our connection groups that meet uh, on a regular basis. Our lift class right now is reading the book that this sermon series is based on, Revival, Faith as Wesley Lived It. If you'd like more information about that, contact Evelyn Glass. That meets 9.30 on Sunday mornings via Zoom. We have our UM Disciplines class that meets via Skype. And then on Wednesday evenings, we have our Pastor's Bible Study that meets via Zoom. If you want information on that, just contact the church. And so now let us enter into a spirit of worship and prayer with our opening chorus.
1: Please join me in our responsive call to worship. Come, now is the time to worship. Now is the time to walk forward in faith. Christ catches us in outstretched arms of love. Christ is with us, holding our lives in mercy and grace. In Christ's love, we are lifted to dry ground. Please join me in our opening prayer. Almighty God, in a time of great need, you raised up your servants, John and Charles Wesley, and by your spirit, inspired them to kindle a flame of sacred love, which leapt and ran an inextinguishable blaze. Grant that all those whose hearts have been warmed at these altar fires, being continually refreshed by your scriptural holiness, excuse me, I'm sorry, refreshed by your grace may be so devoted to the increase of scriptural holiness throughout the land that this is our time of great need, your will may fully and effectively be done on earth as it is in heaven. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
0: My prayer for you is, for those of you who are here in person and for those who are worshiping online, is that peace will be with you.
1: Joined together in the singing of number fifty-seven, O oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, which has traditionally been the very first hymn listed in the United Methodist hymnals since about seventeen eighty. Please join me in our prayer for illumination. Eternal God, in the reading of the scripture, may your word be heard. In the meditations of our hearts, may your word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Amen. Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 2. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. I know that you cannot tolerate evildoers. You have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them to be false. I also know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for the sake of my name, and that you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then from what you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Let anyone who has an ear to listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches... To everyone who conquers, I will give permission to eat from the tree of life that is in the paradise of God, the word of God for the people of God.
0: So how do you start out the story of John Wesley? How do you begin to draw a picture of a man who changes the face of religion in the entire English-speaking world and beyond, and how do you account for a movement that has shaped you yourself? to your very core. Well, last fall, as you may recall, we examined the different branches of the Christian family tree, and in that sermon series, we ended it with a look at our own Methodist heritage. And I started that last sermon with a story of John Wesley from when he was just five years old, and he may have only been a young child, but that experience shaped him for the rest of his life. And so when I came to preach a sermon series specifically on the life and faith of John Wesley, I tried, but I couldn't think of any other way to begin the story of his life than what happened on that fateful night when he was five years old. And so once again, I'm going to share with you this story because I think it is so important to understanding the personality of John Wesley whom I might add, when he was a young child, was called Jackie by his family. Now it was late on a Wednesday evening, it was February 9th, 1709 to be exact, when the home of Samuel and Susanna Wesley burned to the ground. One of the children woke up in the middle of the night when the embers from the burning ceiling fell at her feet and she sprang uh, out of bed and rushed to her parents' bedroom just as she entered the room waking up her father, Samuel could hear someone yell fire from the street below. And he woke up to, with a start to realize that it was his house that was on fire. And he immediately went to all the bedrooms and he ushered his wife and his children and their servants down the stairs. And as soon as they had descended, the stairs themselves burst into flame. When they opened the front door, the wind created a wall of flame in the doorway, rendering it impassable. Now Samuel and the children were able to get out of a small window that was kind of up. They had to climb up to it. But Susanna, who had been very ill that day, just was simply unable to climb up to that window. And so for her, there was no other way out except through that wall of fire that was the front door. Well, three times she tried to exit but was driven back by the flames. So in desperation, she just prayed to God for protection and she just flung herself out the door, miraculously only suffering minor burns. But that was not the only miraculous thing that happened that night. Once the family was outside, they made the horrifying discovery that five-year-old Jackie was missing. And just then they heard him cry from the window of an upstairs bedroom. Well, his father Samuel tried to run back into the house, but the stairs by that time had burned away. And so in despair, he just dropped to his knees and he commended the soul of his son to the Lord. Waking up alone and with flames rolling across the ceiling of his bedroom, little Jackie then dragged a trunk over the window and then stood upon and climbed on top. And he peered out the windowsill and he could hear one of the men yell to go get a ladder. But another man, a big bear of a man said, there's no time for a ladder, climb atop my shoulders. So with the help of several others, the large man braced himself against the wall while a smaller man climbed on top of him, uh, stood on his shoulders, And he was able just then to get his arm into the window and grab little Jackie and pull him out. And just as he scooped the child out of that window, the ceiling of that bedroom collapsed. As they climbed down with the child, the entire roof fell in, causing the wall itself to collapse inward. If it had collapsed outward, it would have crushed those men and little Jackie. By now, the rest of the family had been ushered into the house of a neighbor. I don't think they wanted the family to to see little Jackie uh, be burned to death. But as they brought him into the neighbor's house, his father Samuel was absolutely overjoyed. And Wesley later wrote that he said, Come, neighbors, let us kneel down. Let us give thanks to God. He has given me all eight children. Let the house go. I am rich enough. Well, most historians now think that the fire was the result of arson. Though Samuel was the rector, or what we would now call the senior pastor at that local church there for 40 years, many of the people in his congregation disdained him. They maimed his cattle, they maimed his dog, and at one time they had him thrown into debtor's prison for several months. And I've heard of congregations not liking their pastor. But it usually only results in some angry emails, not someone coming after your dog. Um, But little Jackie grew up to be, as we know, John Wesley, the founder of Methodism. And though he was only five years old at the time of the fire, he would later write that he could still remember every minute of that night in minute detail. And anyone who's been in any kind of a similar situation will be able to, uh, to, to uh, remember every detail. In fact, just thinking uh, about what happened yesterday at the synagogue in Colleyville, and I know that the people involved there will probably be able to remember every minute of yesterday for the rest of their lives. Wesley would later allude to himself with a phrase that is found twice in the Old Testament prophets. He referred to himself as a brand plucked from the fire. Well, at times Wesley looked back on that night and he felt as if he had been spared for some sort of special purpose. And a few years after the fire, his mother Susanna wrote in her journal, I do intend to be more particularly careful of the soul of this child that thou hast so mercifully provided for than ever I have been. Well, Susanna Wesley was a force of nature. And so much of Wesley's legacy, I think, is due to the influence of his mother over his life. We don't talk about Martin Luther's mother. We don't talk about John Calvin's mother. But there are books, libraries, written about John Wesley's mother. She was a rarity in the 18th century, a woman who had received a classical education. She was fluent in four languages, English, of course, but also French and Greek and Latin. Her father was a very popular Puritan minister and he insisted that his daughters receive the same education as his sons. Well, after she and Samuel were married, she in turn educated both her sons and her daughters at the kitchen table there at the rectory or the parsonage that they occupied as a result of Samuel being the rector or the senior pastor of the Anglican church there in Epworth, England. Epworth is a little village in England It's, I think, about 150 miles north of London. It's not near anything big. You have to go out of your way to go to Epworth. But, uh, not the last time I was in England, but the time before that, I believe, uh, we did rent a car and make, make our way to Epworth. And I can tell you, if a Methodist shows up in Epworth at John Wesley's childhood home that was built after the one that burnt down, you'll be warmly welcomed And they will take you on a tour that will last three hours if you let them. Uh, They're very excited about the rectory there at Epworth. Well, it was a very large family. And in the span of 21 years, Susanna was pregnant 19 times. 19 pregnancies in 21 years. I assume she and Samuel were close. Of those 19 pregnancies though, only 10 of them, 10 of the children survived to adulthood. And there were so many children they ran out of names. If one of the children died, they would just recycle that name with the next child. John Wesley was actually the third child in that family to be named John. Well, in addition to running a large household, Susanna spent six hours a day then homeschooling her children. And despite this demand on her time, she endeavored to spend one hour Each week with each individual child. And she would ask the child about their faith and about their hopes and their fears and what they dreamt of and what they were thinking about. She was in the habit of leading family devotions in her home on Sunday evenings. And once when Samuel was out of town for an extended time, the associate priest was in charge of delivering the Sunday morning sermon. Well, evidently, he was a rather dull preacher. So the townspeople asked if they could come and participate in Susanna's family devotions. And so when more people showed up for Susanna's devotions rather than the associate's sermons, the associate complained bitterly to Samuel. It was scandalous, he said, that Susanna, a woman, was essentially preaching. Well, Samuel wrote to Susanna and asked her to stop. She replied that as Samuel commanded her, she would desist but it would then be Samuel who had to answer to God for why he prevented her from doing good and ministering to others. So at that point, Samuel never said another word about it. Susanna had a profound impact on the life of her son, John, and therefore had a profound impact on the Methodist movement, and she continued to be one of John's closest advisors and confidants until her death in 1742. Now, it wasn't until 1956 that women in the Methodist Church were awarded full clergy rights in the Methodist uh, but despite that not happening until 1956 the Methodist movement has a history as a whole a long history of women being in positions of leadership I have uh, even prior to having full clergy rights in 1956 even prior to that women could still be licensed pastors and in fact my aunt uh, grew up in a little uh, country church in Louisiana that had a female pastor, which during those times was really rare. And I think this opportunity for women to have leadership positions in the Methodist movement was, an infl- was a result of the influence of Susanna Wesley, uh, the, the influence she exercised over her son. And I think this illustrates then one of the distinctions of Methodism that women and others who have traditionally been denied leadership positions have had more opportunities in the Wesleyan movement to exercise their God-given gifts than some of their peers from other traditions. Now there's still a lot of work to be done in the United Methodist Church. There's still a lot of work to be done to still fully ensure uh, equality for women and for people of color and certainly for LGBTQ folks. But I think the seeds of that equality were planted long ago by the dynamic gifts and leaderships of this Susanna Wesley. Now over the next six weeks we're going to follow this fascinating life story of John Wesley and through his story we're going to be able to examine and explore what makes Methodism unique among the differing traditions of the Christian church. And this ongoing to, this ongoing tendency to want to expand the inclusion of others in the life of the church, including in its leadership, I think is one of Methodism's distinctions and one for which I am personally the most proud of as our history and one I still work for. Well, One of the reasons the study of history is so important is that by knowing what came before, this enables us to understand where we are now and also to understand where we may be headed. And we can then use this knowledge we have of history to change our trajectory if we need to, to better reflect what we claim to be our our values and our beliefs. So revisiting history then can assist us when we are feeling tired or lethargic or burnt out or in need of new inspiration. At various times in our lives, we need revival, we we need regeneration. And this is true in multiple senses of our lives, in our relationships, in our careers, in our communities, and in our spiritual lives. For example, marriage marriage counselors often encourage couples to reminisce about the beginnings of their relationship because reliving those initial feelings of being in love can rekindle new energy in long-term relationships and it can illuminate a way forward if that couple is currently having problems. But it's impossible, however, for a couple to maintain those ecstatic first feelings of being in love forever. Likewise, the spiritual fervor that we may feel when we first initially make that decision to become a disciple of Jesus Christ or we experience some other kind of spiritual awakening, that that initial fervor can't last forever. It's simply not in human nature to maintain an initial excitement indefinitely. It's, It's just not how we're made. And so we see this illustrated in our reading uh, that, that Wesley read from the book of Revelation. Revelation starts with seven letters that are written to seven churches in Asia Minor, what we now call the country of Turkey. And among those churches is the church there at Ephesus. Now, decades before Revelation was written, the Apostle Paul spent two years at Ephesus building up that church, and it became a vivacious center in the early church, But now it's about 40 years later and the church in Ephesus was drifting. And so speaking through John of Patmos, who's the writer of Revelation, Christ had a message for the church there at Ephesus. Christ commanded, or excuse me, commended their perseverance in the faith. But Christ goes on to say, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then from what you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. And I think this is similar to the situation in England during the time of Wesley. It had now been 200 years since the beginning of the Protestant Reformation, and the people were just weary. They were worn out from 200 years of religious conflict. And at this point, people started to advocate for religious toleration, not really because they wanted to be open-minded, but simply because they were so tired of the violence and the conflict And so religious tolerance seemed to be a better alternative than to continue fighting. Well, the Protestant Reformation had resulted in a theology that many found very intellectually satisfying. But in its zeal to separate itself from the Roman Catholic Church, many Protestants then had left behind the rich Catholic traditions of spiritual formation that helped people in their personal relationship with God. So for many at the time, Protestantism spoke to the mind, but it had left behind the heart. And so also at that time, the churches had become insular and unwelcoming. Poor people, for example, they couldn't afford the type of nice clothing that was expected for people as they attended the local church of England. And so as a result, they didn't go to church. And then as a result, the people lost their passion for their faith. And so I think then the country was just ripe for spiritual renewal. And so I think God sent the very right person at the very right time. John Wesley and the Methodist movement reignited the faith of the people. And as they heard the preaching of Wesley, people felt as if the Holy Spirit was coming again with power, just as it had at that first Pentecost, the birthday of our church, 40 days after the the ascension of Jesus Christ. In fact, Wesley is sometimes credited with this saying, catch on fire with enthusiasm and people will come for miles to watch you burn. Well, I think the United Methodist Church today is in desperate need of revival. I think there is so much anxiety, and I share in this anxiety, but there's so much anxiety over the future of our denomination. And it seems like that any possible resolution keeps evading us as we keep having to repeatedly postpone general conference because of the pandemic and it's just drawing out our sense of trepidation and I do think it's this point and I think most everyone agrees that we are almost certainly headed for a type of schism but will this separation then result in renewed purpose or will it separate in the death of our denomination but on the other hand Will some kind of death of the church now be necessary for resurrection to be possible? Or does the United Methodist Church need to be burnt down before it can be rebuilt? And then what about Trinity? Do we need revival and new infusion of the Holy Spirit? Like the Church of Ephesus, we have exhibited patient endurance throughout the pandemic and the renovation of our church building after last year's flood. But also, like Ephesus, have we abandoned the love that we had at first? The young John Wesley had a very close encounter with the power of fire. If he had never had the experience of surviving that fire when he was just five years old, would he have gone on to change the world? Did the fire that almost killed him instead kindle within him a passion for new life? We as a congregation have had a very close Encounter with the power of water. And so, will our experience of survival empower us then to go out and change the world? Will the flood that almost drowned us instead rekindle in us a passion for new life in this church? And let's, let us never forget that both fire and water are both symbols of the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, some believe that the church as a whole right now is kind of like a church on fire, or a house on fire, and that fire can either burn us down or it can fire us up. So I suggest that we use the fiery power of the Holy Spirit to imagine a new future for us, for both the United Methodist Church and for Trinity United Methodist Church, because I think if we catch on fire with enthusiasm, people are gonna come from miles just to watch us burn. And since we're all, we're all brands that have been plucked from the fire and we all have our special callings and we all have been delivered from death for new life, both for both ourselves and for our church. And so think about then those words that Samuel Wesley exclaimed when he found out that little Jackie had survived the fire. Come neighbors, let us kneel down. Let us give thanks to God. He has given us all of God's children We can let the house go because we are rich enough. Amen.
1: And join in singing number 606, all three verses. Come, let us use the grace divine.
0: Amen. Now we come to the part of our service where we lift our joys and concerns up to the Lord. And we normally start with concerns, but I want to start with joys today. Um, And the big joy that we have is that our uh, neighbors at the synagogue in Colleyville, those hostages, all came out uh, alive and unhurt, at least physically. Um, and there was no injuries for either the hostages or any of the law enforcement, and that is something to be thankful for. Um, If you're like me, um, I was kind of glued to the television uh, yesterday afternoon uh, just seeing what would happen, and I even texted to my siblings, this news story is making it very hard for me to work on my sermon. Um, And I finally had to turn the TV off because I was on my iPad, and I figured out if something big happens, there's going to be a notification, and you can turn the TV back on. Um, But, of course, then when I saw the notification flash up that all the hostages had now been released, I immediately turned back on the TV. As we know, that situation could have turned out very, very differently, and we could have had very different prayers this morning. But I want to then lift up a prayer of thanksgiving to God that all the hostages and all the law enforcement and first responders, that none of them were at least physically injured, and they are all alive and well. So we know that this is the work of the Lord. So therefore, thanks be to God. I want to say just a little bit, um, even before the flood, uh, the flooding of our church, I can tell you that um, the trustees and the leadership board have been in discussion for quite some time about the security of our church and wanting to make sure that we have a, a safe worshiping environment and a lot of thought has gone into that, and a lot of, uh, a lot of that has then uh, formed our thinking as we've gone through the renovation. So I did want to reassure um, those who want to worship with us in person that this is something that we take very seriously, both the security uh, of our building from possible intruders, as well as the safety from, uh, from COVID-19 as well. Oftentimes, we. The, the chances of something like that happening in our church or any any worshiping community is minuscule. I mean, it's, it's very, very unlikely. It's just that when it happens, it's so scary. Um, but it has come to attention that perhaps by being a reconciling congregation and uh, perhaps as a, a result of this church having an openly gay pastor, we might be a little bit more of a target than other churches. And we have had fellow reconciling congregations that have been um, vandalized. But there's been no incidences of any violence uh, so far at any of the reconciling congregations. Um, I, had, I did have a nasty phone call once at the church. I can handle a nasty phone call. But I just wanted you to know that we take this very seriously and that I think this is a safe worshiping environment And I don't want anyone to not come and worship with us on person because they fear for their safety because we're taking both security seriously and we're taking COVID-19 seriously as well. Um, So our concerns then though, is to lift up all those with COVID-19. As I've said before, I know more people with COVID now than at any point during the pandemic. Luckily right now, I don't know anyone who's hospitalized or who has died recently but still we wanna be with all of those that are affected by COVID, uh, particularly those um, for uh, our educators and our students and staff in our schools at all levels, because they always have a particular um, challenge with dealing with COVID-19. So I'd like to lift up a prayer for all of those that are being affected by COVID-19 right now, uh, as well as um, medical personnel and, and, and those who are in education. And so to ask that God protect them. And so, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Um, also then, um, and also I might add, I want to add this as well. Again, that COVID-19 keeps families from seeing each other, um, particularly from, those, from people visiting uh, their elderly relatives. And, and the way that it can separate families from being together in person Uh, can really drag on you emotionally. And so I also then pray for families to be able to get back together as soon as they can, to be able to experience that family togetherness. So Lord, in your mercy. And then I want to just lift up these two prayers that I've been been lifting up every week now for for some time. I want to continue to pray for uh, Christian Sanford, my colleague's son, who is still missing in LA and Los Angeles. I pray that he be found safe and unharmed. So, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And to pray, again, that our our building continues to have worked on it, that we get our building finished, that we get our building in a place where we can be fully in ministry here in this location, but then to continue to be in ministry online and beyond. Because now that we're online, the world is our parish. But we still want our building back. So we still pray then for our building to get finished just as soon as possible. So Lord, in your mercy. And so now let us, with the confidence we have as the children of God, pray the prayer that our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now will you please stand for our closing hymn, number 553, And Are We Yet Alive? You can always find a recording of our service on our Facebook page, TUMCD.org, or excuse me, on our website, TUMCD.org, on our Facebook page, or through our uh, podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. And just a reminder, we do have our uh, plate at the back for your offerings. And so now, receive this benediction. May the love of the Father enfold us, the wisdom of the Son enlighten us, the fire of the Spirit kindle us. And may the blessing of the Lord God come down upon us and remain with us always. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. you enjoyed and were blessed by today's service. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. Next Sunday, we'll continue examining our Methodist heritage the life of its founder, John Wesley, in our new sermon series, The Faith of John Wesley. You'll find recordings of all our services on our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. Remember, we are now worshiping both in person in the sanctuary as well as online. God bless you in the week ahead. We'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church. Thank you.